As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I think it's 1919. Um, I know. I know we've moved on, and times are different, like Tim says. But uh, he deserves an, a lot of credit for me. Though. It's a better team for me. If you're playing the percentages, why on earth would you give Man United an edge by playing a weaker keeper in goal? Ortega might play brilliantly and be man of the match. He's obviously capable of doing that. But Edison's one of the best keepers in the world. Given the, the rivalry between these two, given what's at stake, given the treble, and given the contrasting styles, I think this should be uh, a proper FA Cup final with a lot at stake and, and should be good aesthetically as well. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Dan Bardell and it's time for the Weekend Preview. I'm joined by George Ellick, Tim Spears and Bet365 Steve Freeth. All roads lead to Wembley as the National Stadium prepares to welcome Manchester. It's a derby day final between Manchester City and Manchester United with the Red Devils out to deny Pep Guardiola's side matching Fergie's feat of 1999. It's the FA Cup final preview here on the Athletic Football Podcast. So a first FA Cup final that's a Manchester derby, the grudge match to end all grudge matches. Steve, which side of Manchester is this the bigger occasion for? Good question, Dan. I think I think it's for both of them, really. It's the it's obviously Manchester City going for the treble. And it's obviously Manchester United trying to trying to stop Manchester City getting even closer to the treble that they got in ninety nine. So there's a lot of lot of pride at stake here. I think there's a I think there's more pressure on on Manchester City because if they don't win this one then all of a sudden after all the talk of, of, about this trophy treble they could possibly just end up in one trophy um, which would be uh, going to be a decent season for most teams but for Manchester City it won't be um, but listen Dan they are at long odds on to, to win the FA Cup as you'd expect at 1-4 with, with Manchester United at 3-1 to one. so yeah very much uh, Manchester City are the favourites Yeah this would elevate Manchester United season wouldn't it George if obviously finishing the top four and, and won a cup already which I think probably most Manchester United fans would have taken at the start of the season but to win two trophies and stop their neighbours doing the treble and finishing in the top four like I said that really does elevate Manchester United season yeah massively uh, I think it's a, a big final for them anyway you know we spoke before the um, Carabao Cup final how that was important to get Eric Tenog's reign, you know, underway with a trophy. I think if you get to a domestic cup double, that would be mightily impressive and would bode pretty well for the future in terms of, of knockout football. It shows that Tenog is someone who is able to negotiate a way past opponents over a single or, or you know, in a, in a double leg as it will be in, in Europe coming uh, coming up. We also obviously saw him beat Barcelona over two legs in the Europa League. So uh, it would be big regardless of the city factor, but I think that does play a massive part here. Now, United fans have already been to Wembley once to watch their team lift a trophy. There's no denying that the FA Cup is a more prestigious <clears throat> and more important um, accolade to get, but I'm pretty confident that the United fans who are travelling back to Wembley, if they do manage to negotiate their way past City, a big part of the joy that will come out of this is preventing City from repeating that, you know, the the... the 
the the treble that came um you know a couple of decades ago it, it's you know you have to remember that before that treble completing the domestic double of the premier league and the fa cup was seen as a massive feat um i, I think a lot of people probably thought we'd never see the champions league uh premier league and fa cup treble be be completed again uh, football has changed a lot since then but if united are able to be the architects to bring down what is now just looking like a you know I guess it's near enough an even money shot or maybe even shorter now, um, Steve, that, that the City go ahead and yeah. there you go. that they, they progress through these two games. So, um, yeah, a, a massive game for both, but certainly for United on, on all fronts. Manchester City are looking to tick off the second leg of their potential treble and match Manchester United's achievement of 1999. If they were to go all the way and do all three, Tim, how would that compare? Uh, very differently, I think. I was actually watching highlights of the... Man United's 99 semi against Arsenal the other day. Just one of the best games of football. Quiet, quiet day at the Athletic, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, that was out of, Dan, Dan, that was out of hours, out of hours. Uh, just oh, what okay. I do in my spare time. Um, <laughs> uh, it's honestly, but I, I remember at the time, it's like one of the best football matches I, I, I've ever seen, I think. It was so dramatic. And as was United's treble, you know, every, every, every competition went down right to the end. The league went down to the last day of the season. Obviously, the FA Cup semi-final extremely dramatic, and the Champions League final, as we all know, doesn't get more dramatic than that. This this hasn't been the case for City so far. You know, there haven't really been many dramatic last-minute winners or great comebacks or really exciting, thrilling games. I mean, we may get that on Saturday and, and next weekend, but yeah, it's just it's a very different type of trouble. It's a very if they do it, it's a very clinical, uh, efficient. They, they make it look easy. I mean, City do leave me sort of cold and emotionless watching them. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. You know, we all have huge admiration for them, and they're probably the best team we've seen in the Premier League. I think in terms of aesthetics and functionality, but less so in terms of like excitement. You know, rock and roll football or unmiss- unmissable matches as a neutral. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that happens too often. So, and then you have to say the Etihad's quite a quiet stadium. I've been there for quite a few games, and there are lots of tourists there, and. They were six one up against Man United last uh, year, and people were moaning about misplaced passes. <laughs> so you don't get a sense that they're having like the time of their lives, and this is like you know an astonishing sort of one off thing. I don't mean to sort of um, I don't know. I think I think I probably reflect how a lot of people feel there about watching City. It's very different to those United days. I used to hate Man United, but I, I thought that that treble season was absolutely thrilling. Whereas this this is a little bit different. Arsenal also blew a big lead that year as well when uh, when Manchester United won the Premier League and actually won the treble. They were well clear. Um, and the fact that Manchester United didn't beat Arsenal in normal time uh, either. They played the FA Cup, obviously, with two draws. They, they got hammered by Arsenal at the start of the season, 3-0 in the Community Shield. This was a Manchester United team that drew 13 games that season, yet still won the uh, yeah. yeah the league. Um, only got 79 points. And, and Scholes and Keane were missing in the final as well. And they had such a tougher group. Champions League-wise group to play. Um, they had uh, Barcelona and Bayern Munich in their group, Champions League, to qualify. So I think this 99 team, um, I, know we've, I know we've moved on and times are different, like Tim says, but uh, he deserves an, a lot of credit for me. It's a better team for me. Was it harder to win the Champions League team in 99 than you think it would be now? Because I feel like the gap between the Premier League and the European team, I feel like the Premier League was almost looking up at some of the European teams Yeah, no, teams definitely. At that point. And also, you've got to remember the historical context of English teams not being in Europe from 85 to 90, which which took a long, long time to catch up on. And English football didn't have the money that it does now at all. Okay, money was starting to come in the game and, and foreign players were starting to come in the game. But almost every English club had to rebuild their stadium in the 90s, which cost an awful lot of money. No, no clubs had sort of decent training facilities. We were way behind Europe. So, um, we were still playing catch up even in 99 for sure. So for Man United to do that was, um, yeah, compared, compared to the wealth that Man City and other English clubs have now compared to the rest of Europe, that's a massive advantage and, um, and reflected in how English teams go deep in Europe so often. George, do you agree with, with what Tim's saying? Do we, do we almost take Manchester City for granted? Because in the second half of the season, it does feel like they just wipe the floor with everyone that they've played, and it's too easy for them. Yeah, I mean, I think over a you know a thirty-eight game league campaign, it's very, very hard to, as we've seen this season. You know, even though Arsenal pushed them quite far, it's hard to really get past a team who are so relentlessly good and have such incredible squad depth. It's a different case though when it comes to to knockout competitions. I mean, we know that they've they've farmed the Carabao Cup for quite a few years now, but you know, since they beat Stoke in the FA what? Cup final back in oh. two thousand and ten. 2011 um they've only won the 
the FA Cup once. There was that ridiculous final, the 6-0 drubbing of Watford. But this would only be Pep Guardiola's second FA Cup victory for City. And then we, we all know that they're yet to win the Champions League. So, yeah, I mean, the, the league form is certainly relentless. And we know that knockout football is obviously more random and probably less of a fair reflection of who is, you know, accurately the better team. But... For that reason, you know, there's still a fair bit of jeopardy here. And I think, you know, it often gets overlooked that in the, you know, that the main cup competition here, City's record isn't that good. Um, so I've personally found them much more entertaining to watch this season. I think individuals such as um, you know, Ilkay Gundogan and his form this season, Jack Grealish's return to or, or you know, eclipsing anything he's previously done on, on a football pitch, De Bruyne having an amazing season, not to mention, you know, Erling Haaland, who has probably had the the, the best debut season anyone's ever had in the Premier League. Even Rodri is a holding midfielder who I'd love to watch all day. You know, it's it might be relentless, it might be fairly clinical, um, but it's not short of individual talent too. Yeah, I mean, can we learn anything from the previous meetings this season, Steve? City 6-3 winners at the Etihad. Manchester United was 6-1 down before two late consolations. And I'd actually forgot Manchester United won from behind at Old Trafford to beat Manchester City 2-1 earlier in the season. Can we take anything from those games or is it just the case of this is a one-off, it's a cup final, that old cliche? Possibly, but let's, you know, Eric Ten Hag was finding his feet in those pretty early stages, wasn't he, back then when the uh, the first game happened? And I think Manchester United were even slightly flattered by by the scoreline. It should have been a little bit more. Um, I also remember Casemiro coming on. He wasn't a regular at the time then during that drubbing. I think he came on when it was 4-0. Or, or something like that. And of course, not only has Eric Ten Hag found his feet, Casemiro has also found his feet now. So clearly they won the second game as well. So I think you've got to give, you know, Eric Ten Hag now, he's obviously one true cookie and he'll, he'll definitely have a plan for uh, for Manchester City going forward. And likewise, when, when Casemiro's in the side, Manchester United just a better team. So it's, uh, it's, it's finally poised. And I, I still think that Manchester City are a little bit on the short side personally for this. I think I think that those games have both sort of gone slightly with form. You know, City was sort of uh, really uh, Haaland was in his incredible form when they won that six three and he got his hat trick. As Steve says, United still find their feet. And then the two one, it was shortly after the World Cup, and United came back and had won uh, four matches in a row. And City were like a little bit vulnerable either side of the World Cup. I think they had the most players at the tournament of any Premier League team. So they sort of did go with form a little bit. And, you know, that's that's definitely something for United to cling on to in this one because they've won their final four games of season. City, obviously taking their foot completely off the gas since winning the title, rested a lot of players, last two games, a draw and a defeat. So if you're going on form, that definitely gives United, you know, a, a, a bit of an edge. Although we must remember that, yes, they beat City 2-1 at Old Trafford, but there was that absolutely ludicrous offside goal where Rashford's running through on Rashford. go- Rashford's running through on goal and, and deemed to be not interfering with play. I still can't believe that was given to be honest. Yeah. Tim the goalkeepers could play play a crucial role in this one. David De Gea clean sheets record this season, most clean sheets, but has had off games as well, but he's still a, a tremendous shot stopper. Ortega for Manchester City could very well line up in goal, which could have an impact on the game. He's played in the recent Premier League games as if he's gonna gonna get ready for this FA Cup final because he's played in every round previous. What would you do in that situation? Go back? Would you go back to your number one because it's a cup final and, and you need to win? I, I, exactly, Dan. You, you've said it. It's a cup final. It's a massive game. You play your best players. Yeah, I never, I never get that. I understand giving a backup keeper some games in the cups. But when it comes to the final, it's it's got to be your number one player. Why on why on earth, if you're playing the percentages, why on earth would you give Man United an edge by playing a weaker keeper in goal? Ortega might play brilliantly and be man of the match. He's obviously capable of doing that. But Edison's one of the best keepers in the world, so you're weakening your team by leaving him out. I I don't understand that at all. But we'll see. We'll see what he does. And as yeah, as for De Gea, I mean he's. Real issues still happens in matches now. You can see it in terms of being pressed, in terms of playing out from the back. He's had like arguments with with defenders recently, and um, and he'll just hoof it. So um, that's an ongoing issue. I don't know what they're going to do next season. Whether they bring in a new number one or whether they really, really work try and work with De Gea in the summer. But yeah, that's certainly something that Pep Guardiola will be massively aware of and looking to take advantage of because it's cost United um, a few goals this season, albeit. He's also kept more clean sheets than anyone in the Premier League and had a very good season, apart from those uh, high-profile mistakes. And we all know that Edison's a world-class keeper, but I think he's had a pretty poor season by his normal, very high standards. If you look on the uh, on the goals against the XG for goalkeepers, he's minus five, basically, on goals prevented. 
this and he's made a couple of high-profile mistakes in a Manchester derby before in recent years. And this is a tiniest of tiny samples. Ortega is plus three point one. So he's obviously in the games that he's played, he's played. But I'm, I'm just stating here, it's the smallest of sample sizes. Yeah, I think Ortega looks looks pretty good, but it's all about that being cohesive, isn't it? In the in the defence and in recent weeks, they've been changing their team, George, and that their form hasn't been as good as you'd expect it to drop off because they've been resting people. But the defence has been a big part of them going on the run that they've been on, and Edison's been a been a massive part of that as as the goalkeeper. It's all become a bit more cohesive in the last two or three months, which is why they've moved up, moved up and managed to use uh, Arsenal. You'd think in a, in a cup final that is a Manchester derby, you would go back to Edison, but I actually think Ortega will play. I always think with team selection, especially with regards to cups, it's it's easy for us to sit here and say you play your best players, but you know we don't have any insight into the relationships between the manager and the players. We don't know, you know, for example, if Ortega isn't rewarded for his form in the cups previously, would he therefore turn his back and say I want to leave the club, which causes a massive massive unrest and, and the need to, to recruit a new second keeper? Like we just don't know. Maybe Edison is, is is in a similar position. You know, we just don't sit here. We, we don't know what the what the situation is between these players. Maybe the reason Ortega's played a couple of Premier League games is because you know Edison will be drafted back in for this, and Guardiola as a, a peacekeeping mission has, has given him some league minutes. It's impossible to say. Um, you know, it would seem pretty foolish if your second keeper makes a mistake uh, in a cup final that, that costs you the trophy. But as I say, I, I think it's often one of those forgotten things when we talk about football is that there are um, you know relationships at play here that we aren't really privy to. And, and I guess that plays a massive part in team selection. This is the Weekend Preview on the Athletic Football Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Ah, uh, the FA Cup final. Where to start? Uh, it's obviously an absolutely huge game. Personally, I don't know anybody, and that's people I speak to or people that they speak to, and that's City fans or United fans who are particularly looking forward to the game just because it's so big and never mind winning, what happens if you lose? City fans, obviously, there's the opportunity to win the treble. Beating United to do that the other English team to have done it, obviously in 1999, the year the City were promoted from the third tier. They could do that this time. It doesn't get much sweeter. But obviously, defeat doesn't get much more bitter either. And United stopping them from doing the treble would be pretty sickening. In terms of the team, obviously City have been fantastic for the last couple of months. Um, there's no doubt that City are a better team than United. They have been for the last decade. It's been 10 seasons now where City have finished above United. But over all these years and some of the victories in recent years that Guardiola's team have had, they've been so dominant, but there's always been a United victory thrown in. Not every season, but it feels like every season that completely defies the odds. It defies the favourite tag. It defies just the quality and the standing of the two teams over the last 10 years. And that's the fear for the City fans going into this weekend. And obviously United, they've made no secret about it. They're determined to stop City from trying to win the treble. City, like I was saying, they've been fantastic. For two months, they've really clicked into gear. They've blitzed everyone away. They've got to the Champions League final, the FA Cup final. They've won the Premier League and they did it with games to spare. And I suppose that's the one semi-worry for City. Once the title was won with Arsenal losing at Nottingham Forest, 
Guardiola was able to pick a very, very heavily rotated team against Chelsea. He was going to go strong and try and get over the line, but then he didn't need to. So he rested everyone, played a strong team at Brighton with a couple of different positions changed, and then he rested everybody again at Brentford. Now, after you lose that momentum and that rhythm that they were in, when they were going every three days, big performance, big performance, big performance, can they get it back easily? You would imagine so. It's not ideal. Guardiola suggested himself after winning the title that maybe it would have been better if they needed to win those last three games. So the question for City going into the game, can they get that rhythm back? But you would probably have to bank on the fact that the game is so big, so much riding on it, they know what to do. They are serial winners now. They will have that mentality to go and get the job done. But is anybody confident on the outside? I don't think so. That's the Athletics Manchester City writer Sam Lee there on the significance of Saturday's meeting at Wembley. Tim, for all the talk of Man City's possible treble, because they completed one in 2019, they were actually the only side ever to do the domestic treble, League, FA Cup and League Cup. Has that achievement been undervalued a little bit? Yeah, probably. Um, I'm not really sure why. That was an astonishing season. They scored 169 goals that season, Dan. 169 goals in 61 matches. They won their final 14 games of the season to overpower Liverpool. And and I was at Wembley that day. They beat Watford 6-0 in the cup final. It's just the most one-sided dismantling of a, a team that's in the same league as you that I've, that I've probably ever seen, to be honest, On, in terms of in a big game. They lost to Spurs in the quarterfinals of the Champions League that year. And if they'd beaten Spurs, you'd fancy them to have beaten Ajax in the semis. And then it would have been Man City-Liverpool in the final for a quadruple for City. I think there's a decent chance they'll do the quadruple in the next year or two. I don't know if I'm sure Steve's got numbers on that, but it does it does feel like, you know, Liverpool we know went close last year and it feels like Man City are are capable of doing that. As George says, knockout football can be so unpredictable and random, but when you're dismantling your your closest rivals in the league in Arsenal and in the Champions League in Real Madrid, you know, like I said earlier, they're sort of making it look easy. So um yeah, that 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 achievement probably um probably is undervalued a little bit. It's really interesting hearing what Sam was saying about rustiness because I, 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 I really agree with that. I think um, it's not like they were looking tired when they were uh, demolishing Real Madrid a few weeks ago. So to have sort of the best part of three weeks without a game with anything riding on it is definitely going to be a slight disadvantage to City. And again, something I would put in, in United's corner that they've been playing the same team every week, they've been winning every week and they'll come straight into this game um, in good form where City won't. Steve, is this the best side of the Guardiola era or were the Centurions better? Because there isn't really a weakness in this squad. No, I was just looking at the side there, Dan, just just having a look, thinking, OK, where you know where is it weak? And, you know, I mean, Phillips can't get a game, can he? Um, he's, Barely he's, get a minute. No, yeah, I suppose I suppose he'll be he'll be disappointed. I mean, how long can, can Walker go on for, um, I suppose? How old's Walker now? 30, coming up to being 34. I mean, it looks like he can keep going for a, well, a little longer. Going, he doesn't seem to have lost any pace. And he, and he won't stop. He gets himself out of trouble, doesn't he? Um, an incredible defender. And uh, yeah, I think I think few questioned his price tag when he went there, but he's had an incredible career at, uh, at Manchester City. And no, Dan, they just, you know, they do look um, incredibly strong. Um, yeah, it's... It, I, and they are going to get stronger, in my opinion. The Centurions had... Am I right in thinking they had David Silva, the Centurions? They did, yeah. Uh, Aguero I don't think I think at times look Pep he's got good resources at Man City there's there's no denying that but he, he has done some some clever little things like no one would have had David Silva as playing as a central midfielder in the Premier League I think he played most of his footballers as, as a number 10 or a wide player for Manchester City but he comes in Pep has his 4-3-3 David Silva just fits into into central midfield with De Bruyne and, and Fernandinho and they're brilliant one of the best midfielders the Premier League's ever seen so I don't think Pep necessarily gets the credit always that, that he deserves George arguably Pep's best game as manager was the 2011 Champions League final I still remember that game at Wembley against Manchester United it was it was special that but he has lost 7 of 18 against Manchester United in charge of Manchester City which I find quite interesting yeah, I mean, it feels like Pep's record in um, standalone individual games, as we know, when maybe he overthinks things, uh, as we've seen in the past, isn't great. It's probably his one weakness. Um, and maybe that's the case in these in these big games. You know, I was um, fairly outspoken in my thoughts about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as a manager when he was in charge of United, but there was no denying that he did much, much better or his side did much better against 
um, Guardiola City than than uh, than against most teams or, or than you'd necessarily expect. So, yeah, I, I guess that plays quite a big part here. Are we going to see Pep do something crazy to surprise us all as he tries to second guess the opposition yet again, or will he save that for the Inter game in the Champions League final? We'll have to wait and see. But um, yeah, there, there's no denying that you'd probably anticipate that the Pep's record would be better against United, and that should give um, that should give the, the team in red a bit of hope here. Yeah, and having heard from the blue half of Manchester, let's now get the take of the Athletics Manchester United writer Laurie Whitwell as Eric Ten Hag's side look to win their second piece of silverware this season at Wembley. Hi guys, Laurie here. Yeah, wow, Saturday. Uh, huge match for Manchester United and Man City. United fans, all they're focused on is stopping Man City winning the treble. It's something that United fans have been able to lord over every other set of fans since 1999 when they did it in such dramatic fashion. You know, they've got a song, you know, have you ever won the treble? Uh, no, you haven't, uh, is what they say uh, in not so many terms. Um, but I think the scale of the game, is it the most significant Manchester derby in history? Uh, that's a big claim, but I mean, I think back to 1974 and, and the way that City, you know, played a part in relegating United to the second division, although that game obviously didn't hinge absolutely on, on that result. Um, you know, the one in 2011-12 when City won 6-1 at Old Trafford, and that, you know, basically gave them the title ultimately on goal difference. You know, that was a pivotal game in the fact that City managed to pit United on that slenderest of margins. Um, so, I, But I would think this one maybe tops it all just because of what the trouble represents Manchester United fans. But United are able to stop them at this moment. They, they could uh, deny them. And I think that would go down as a huge moment for United in their history. Um, you know, you think back to 2018 when City could have won the title against Man United at the Etihad on Derby Day, they were 2 0 up at half time and ended up crumbling and, and lost 3 2. And I think United had some salvation from that um, just because of, uh, you know, the, 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 the pain that it would have been to actually be the ones where, you know, City won the title against. Um, so, yeah, I think that's all a factor in this. And I think you could sense that's the emotion behind it when Eric Ten Hag took the mic after the Fulham game, final game of the season, reflecting on the season that, that had been and kind of, you know, delivered it really well, the uh, the line about, but there's one game left and the kind of crowd reacted to it with knowledge and, and, and with kind of anticipation. And I think the players will have heard that and if they had any doubts about the game before then, I think that would have encouraged them and given them, a, planted the seed that, yeah, give them the belief that they can actually stop this, uh, you know, irrepressible force that Man City are. I mean, United have already done it in their history, you know, when they, they beat Liverpool in 77 and that ultimately denied Liverpool the treble, that they, they won the European Cup and they, they'd already won the league. Um, so, yeah, this is another kind of bracket in that. And I think just in terms of United being the only English team, it, it's it's also beyond that. It's, it's, you know, there's only a few teams in Europe that have ever done this, you know, Celtic, I'm looking at the list here, Ajax in 72, PSV Eindhoven, Barcelona, Inter, Bayern Munich a couple of times and, and Barcelona again in 2014-15. So it's a handful of teams that have done this. I, I think United will absolutely take great joy if they're able to stop City. And then it would be a really good season for United, FA Cup, Carabao Cup and, and finishing the Champions League places. But yeah, huge game. Both sets of fans on the way down to London will be on edge, no doubt, until the final whistle. Laurie Whitwell there, the Athletics Manchester United writer. And to be honest, he's everywhere at the moment. You turn on your TV and he's he's on Sky. Laurie, you, you go on social media and he's doing something cool. He's had a, had a great season. Laurie Whitwell, one of the stars of the season. No Anthony Martial for Manchester United. So, George, what does Eric Ten Hag do in attack? Is it Veghorst, Rashford through the middle? What do you think he'll do? Well, I mean, who knows? It, it's it's so difficult to predict what he's going to do. There's no denying that Rashford is far more effective playing off the left-hand side and going into a cup final. Um, you probably want your key attacking threat to be playing in his best position. And that means, despite, you know, you say Laurie Whitwell's had a great season. Uh, I don't think we can say the same about Vuk Weghorst, whose uh, um, loan signing hasn't really sparked what United hoped for. My hunch is that he probably plays Weghorst just because he provides that focal point in attack because that enables Rashford to play where he wants him to play. And even though he's not much of a goal threat, you know, he does work incredibly hard. And when you're playing against a City team who obviously like to retain possession in deep areas, having someone like Veghorst who can do that running off the ball, who can look to press Diaz and, and Stones and Rodri um, could be effective. So that would be my guess. But, you know, it, it, it's hard to, to see exactly what, the way they're going to play this without Martial. It's probably an argument to move Rashford away from the left-hand side and move him away from Kyle Walker, perhaps. 
They could play because they could play Bruno at, on the right, right which yeah. they've done on occasion. Rashford through the middle and Sancho on the left, and then they could bring Fred, say, Fred, in, Fred in and firm up that midfield a, a, a little bit more. Tim, I think that's exactly what they'll do. Dan, that, actually, that's my predicted team. <clears throat> I think you go with sort of Casemiro and Fred sitting, Eriksen just ahead, Fernandez on the right, as you say, Sancho left, and Rashford up top. I think that's probably the best team he can put out. I mean, I, I, I do think they'll get some joy. I think you know. The, the, you know, they press very well. They counter very well. They're sitting on the counter with pace, specifically through Rashford. That's one of their great sort of strengths, quick passes from one half to the other. So, yeah, I think I think that the problem is going to be keeping City out of the other end. Manchester United have already won at Wembley in a cup final this season. They managed that occasion very well against Newcastle, George. And in fairness, Manchester City, the last time they played at Wembley, they lost, albeit the community shield. But it's, it's a very different occasion for both teams this time. Yeah, it is. I, I don't think we can take anything from the Community Shield game for City. I do think United going just a few weeks ago and um, and winning it is significant. You know, it by no means makes them favourites or anything silly like that. But it does mean that this group of players have, have stepped up in a pressure situation in front of expectant fans. Um, you know, they have given the size or the importance of that game to Newcastle as well. Um, you know, there's no denying that they were the better team on the day and deserve their win. So... There's probably something in that. It's it's going to be very, very marginal. Uh, maybe it means if United do get ahead, they might be more comfortable in terms of sitting on their lead rather than, than getting a bit dizzy uh, up there. But um, at the end of the day, I think we know how this game is going to progress. As Tim said, we're going to see United looking to, to press City heavily, but I still think we'll see City retain possession for much of it. United looking to take them on the counter-attack. And I anticipate both teams will get plenty of chances in the game. Hmm. You know, some FA Cup finals recently haven't been the best to watch. I think given the the rivalry between these two, given what's at stake, given the treble, given the contrasting styles, I think this should be uh, a proper FA Cup final with a lot at stake and, and should be good aesthetically as well. I mean, regardless of stopping City for the treble, Tim, how big is this game for Manchester United anyway in terms of a springboard for next season? Because they've already won a trophy. They finished top four, like, like I said earlier. They've had a good season. I think this would make it an, an excellent season. I, think, for I them. think it's better than good already, to be honest. I mean, the, the, do I, do, I do honestly. I think you've got to remember where you know where they come from. Even last season, I mean, they finished they finished sixth last year. They had fifty eight points last season, Dan, and they're on seventy five this year. Given how they started the season, honestly, I, I'm I'm too embarrassed to go back and listen to the podcast that we did after that Brentford game because we was. I mean, I remember saying they were going to struggle to finish top half here, and uh, uh, they're absolute shambles. They were literally a shambles. So to have finished third and won a trophy, I think it's an excellent season. I read the other day Ten Hag's got the best win percentage of any Man United manager in his first full season. So I give them a good chance tomorrow. Honestly, they've got they've got a settled side and a settled system. Obviously, there's a chance to stop City's trouble is a huge motivating factor, mostly for the fans, but for the club itself, I think it would be a fairly big statement of intent for next year and round off what's been, in my opinion, an underrated season. You say you're too embarrassed to go back and listen to that mm-hmm. that podcast. Obviously, got the time to go and do it as we as we <laughs> maybe maybe you should go back and and have a little listen. Steve, what are the odds on Manchester United winning the title next season? Where do they sit? Yeah, Tim touched upon it there. You know what he's taken over there. The first couple of games of the season, people were actually back in Manchester United to get relegated. It was that bad. And United were a massive point. They actually started the season at thirty three to one. They were drifted out to hundred to one after that defeat. But now they're a similar price to Liverpool to win the Premier League next season at eight to one. So that's a huge shift, really. And they're odds on to finish in the top four. Credit to Eric Ten Hag, as we talked about, sixty-seven percent Tim was his win rate this season in his first season, which uh, which is incredible. And, and Tim also mentioned about Manchester City winning the quad next season. We'll be around sixty-six to one for that to happen. So we have been ten times the price of that previously under Pep Guardiola, but uh, yeah. Just got to show the task in hand that, uh, that they have in, in, in doing that. So exciting times for Manchester United. But of course, Manchester City are, are odds on to win the title next season at 4-6. And before we get into the trivia, we've looked at both teams, discussed how they come into the game. So I want your match prediction, first goal scorer and player of the match. Now, we haven't got a six scores challenge, obviously, this week. Oh. But Steve's told me that he and Bet365, if any of us get three for three, they'll give us a million pounds. <laughs> that Thanks, Steve. That's, that's really nice. It'd be really good. You've lowered your feet, Dan. You've lowered your feet. That's <laughs> yeah. impressive. <laughs> Tim, I'll come to you first then. I want your match prediction, first goal scorer and player of the match. I think I've, I think I've talked myself into a United win, you know. Um, You've been very United I heavy just, on this I part. don't know. I, I just think form, City's rustiness. Yeah, I think United will win 2-1. First goal scorer will be a penalty. Who takes their penalties? Bruno, Bruno Fernandes? 
Yes. Yeah, Bruno Fernandes penalty, and uh, man of the match will would have to be De Gea, I think, if they're going to win it. You know, a goal a, a goal is never won it, by the way. Really, man no. of the match. Wow. As far as I, well, definitely over the last twenty odd years, yeah. Steve, match prediction first goal scorer at player of the match. Uh, we'll go with Manchester City two, Manchester United one. First goal scorer will be Jack Grealish, and the player of the match will be Jack Grealish. Interesting, George. Um, three one City, boring, but Erling Haaland to open the scoring. I actually, I I got the uh, when we did this, I got the Carabao Cup man of the match right with Casemiro, uh, and I'm going to go for John Stones at twenty five to one. I think the narrative around his move into midfield, the great season that he's had, I feels like he he probably would have to do less in the game in order to win it. He was my second pick, George. He was my second pick. Mm. Yeah, um, I just want to go back to the 2019, the the, the Man City Watford game where Kevin De Bruyne was on the bench for 55 minutes. I think Man City were God knows how many goals up, and he came on and actually won the man of the match, uh, the player of the match award, which is quite. I still can't quite get over that really, but. There you go. So, so it can be a little bit left field sometimes. Well, I'm going to go times George three one to Manchester City. Haaland first goal scorer, and I was going to go for De Bruyne as as, as player of the match as well. What I bet three six five saying about the player of the match market? Who's the favourite? Yeah, this is one of the, my favourite markets of the season. I do love a player of the match market, and it's normally a a goal scorer in the game or a. Rudiger actually won it in 2018 when Chelsea beat Manchester United. He won it for defending well. There you go. Um, and, and you look you look down, Luis Diaz won it last year when Liverpool won on penalties. It was nil-nil. But normally it's the goal scorer. Tielemans, Aubameyang, uh, Sanchez, Ramsey, Drogba, going going all through the winners in, in recent years. No surprises for guessing that Haaland is the favourite at 11-4 with, with KDB at six. Jack Grealish is at seven. Gundawan could be a bit of a narrative there at 10. Uh, Casemiro, one for George there at 12. The same price as Alvarez, Foden, Mares. David De Gea at, at, at 14 to 1, Tim, for you. Um, and John Stones is a, is a big prize, 25 to 1. It's one that caught my eye and might get cut when I finish this podcast. Thank you very much, Steve. We'll finish this part then as ever with the trivia. Listen carefully, please, Steve Freeth. In the last 30 years, only five British managers have won the FA Cup. Who are they? I've got one because it's one of the first FA Cup finals that I can remember as a kid, Joe Royal. I'm now aware to get me shoot measured. Yeah! <laughs> um, <laughs> Brendan Rodgers. Brendan Rodgers. I'm now aware to get me shoot measured. Yeah! Harry Redknapp springs to mind. I'm yeah. now aware to get me shoot measured. Yes! FA Cup final <laughs> expert, Steve Freyth, are you? Are you not got anything? <laughs> Hang on, how, how many years was this, sorry? 30. So there's an obvious one that I would think is correct. So, so how, how long have we... I thought you were going to say it there. <laughs> I did as well. <laughs> you, you said the first two syllables. <laughs> so when's the, when's the cut-off point? What year is it? Well, 30, the last 30 years. He's stalling. So English or British? British, so... Sir Alex has got to be one, hasn't it? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I'm now aware to get me shoot measured. Yes! So we're four for four. We need one more. When was not George Graham? No, he wouldn't have won. No, that's, that's gone. No, gone, gone I don't back. think so. Uh... Um, this is me thinking out loud. This isn't my answer. But did, didn't Kenny Kenny win a cup with Liverpool when he came back, didn't he? Kenny Dalglish? I think it was the League was Cup. the League Cup? And lost the FA Cup final. Yeah, I don't think it's Kenny. Okay. Right. Uh, we've done well to get four for four, and then this last one's for failing a bit of a, a bit of a struggle. My first FA Cup final I ever watched was um, Liverpool beating Sunderland, and it was Graham Souness. But I think that's ninety, that's ninety two. So I guess that doesn't that doesn't count. I don't remember that final. I was too young. Steve, what was the first? What was the first one for you? Nineteen thirty nine. I was there. I was there at that White Horse. I was there. I was. I was. Yeah. I was definitely there. Uh... I, we were flying through. I thought, oh, this is going so well. We're gonna, we're gonna smash this. It's definitely not George Graham, though. Unless he won it in in ninety two, ninety three. I don't know who won it. Yeah, that, that, that yeah, year. that was um, that was when Arsenal beat Chef Wednesday in both in yeah. both finals, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it'd be George Graham then. Go that. I'm um, no. Are we gonna get? Yeah, I've already said it. Oh, I already said nice. it at the start. Well, you said no. Oh, yeah, that's true. I did say no. <laughs> I've just been careful. I've just been careful. I wanted just to get five for five again. We've had a good run. Five for five last week. Five for five this week as well with no incorrect guesses. We'll be back after the break to see what changes the summer is going to bring. I'm now aware to get me shoot measured. Yes! Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. We've gone into the summer with plenty of uncertainty over who will be managing at a number of clubs this summer. So who do we think will be managing where next season? Tim, we'll come to you for the Tottenham Hotspur perspective. The never-ending managerial chase part two. Yeah, I, I can't believe they're doing it again, Dan. 2021 all over again. Much lo- much like Steve somehow can't get over who was player of the match in the 2019 FA Cup final. Still thinks about it today. <laughs> Can't can't get to sleep at night thinking about who got man of the match. Um, yeah, I just <laughs> at least it's not three o'clock kickoffs. At least I'm not. At least I get to sleep thinking about three o'clock kickoffs. <laughs> That's a big issue. Uh, yeah, I um, I, I still can't get over Spurs this season. Their decision making, their ineptitude. But yeah, I think I think they may have stumbled across a really good can- candidate in Ange Postacoglu. There's. <laughs> There's a social media backlash already I'm seeing. Obviously, I follow a lot of Spurs accounts from covering the club this season. And there's a, you know, no to Ange sort of hashtag. I mean, you know, it's probably just kids, but it's it's pretty disrespectful um, considering the Spurs, that the position that Spurs are in. If it's him or Ryan Mason, I mean, there's absolutely there's absolutely no debate in my mind. I think he'd be real. I said, I remember saying on Spurs pod a few weeks ago that he'd be a really exciting, interesting candidate that Spurs should not be turning their nose up at just because he hasn't managed in a, in a, in a top league before in inverted commas. He's, he's galvanized Celtic. Spurs need galvanizing. They need like a, a figurehead who can, who can really bring the club together. Postacoglu is the kind of man, you know, in my fairly limited knowledge of him, um, he seems like the kind of guy that can do that. He plays attacking football, uh, interesting recruitment. And I'd be really, I'd be really interested to see what he could do at Spurs. I don't follow many Spurs fan accounts because I don't cover them, but even I've seen the, me- the the backlash on social media. And like one of the lines seems to be, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. No, no elite manager has ever come to the top of the game age 57 and therefore we shouldn't hire him. You've also seen Spurs fans saying, you know, it's just another Nuno. As if you can judge a completely different human being because a previous manager who hadn't managed an elite club didn't succeed a couple of years ago. It is so stupid. Like the idea that you can judge a manager based on their age or judge a manager based on a completely different person from a different nationality, from a different league and a different background. You know, Nuno was a goalkeeper and a player at the top level who'd managed big La Liga sides before. Postacoglu has been coaching and managing, having had a, a very moderate career in Australia for a long time. The fact that he's managed to muscle his way into the the, the frame for the, the Spurs job at any time in his career, given he came from a background managing the Australia under-20s team, is testament to what an incredible coach he is. The football is unbelievably entertaining. Like If you're ever at a loose end, or had been for the last couple of years, and yeah. Celtic were on the, on the TV... I'm too busy on YouTube, in sorry. Europe, or... <laughs> Either in either in Europe or or in the um, Scottish Premiership, like watching Celtic is as fun as, as as football can be for a neutral. As a man, he is someone who's completely galvanised the Celtic fan base. They they adore him. In my mind, and I know it's only a small part, portion of Spurs fans, a lot of Spurs fans do want him, but those who don't want him don't deserve him because they're getting an absolute gem. And, and this idea that, you know, if things don't go well, they'll turn on him. Like, where are we now? I mean, it's the same as what I said last last year, that you, sorry, last week, that people think they can judge a manager off their Wikipedia page. It's just pathetic. He feels like a, quite a strong guy. 
as well, which I think is what the, what they need. Someone who's, who's quite headstrong and is going to have the courage of his convictions. I feel like that that's what Spurs need. And I do feel like on that list, you look at what's left. I agree with Tim. I think he's probably the the, the best they can get. It's, it's, it's good run that. So. Can we can we clip up uh, where uh, George calls Spurs fans pathetic and then stick that out on social media? I think that I think that would be great. <laughs> That'll take, that'll, I qualify that by saying it's a small portion. That'll, that'll, that'll certainly take the, the heat off Pasta Cogler if we, if we click that up and put it, on, put it on social media. Steve, Crystal Palace, Roy Hodgson finished the campaign there. Do you think he's likely to stay on? If he doesn't, who do you think could take over? Potter's been rumoured this week for Palace. Sure. I mean, Pasta Cogler's also in the betting for that. By the way, he's odds on to be Spurs manager currently at four or five. He's the best bat manager over the last few days and he's the he's the modern day Alan Kirbishley who gets with gets linked with every single job going currently. Roy Hodson, surely if you're Roy now you think I'm gonna shake hands and just walk away on a high. But you they can't, can they? Because it's a drug. It's it's they absolutely they live and breathe this football regardless of his age. You've seen what he's done. For him to steady that that palace ship, that they probably weren't in any danger of going down really, certainly not odds wise, but to to move him on and up the league and to see the players, the way that they they reacted to him and some of the key players, you know, as they come into his own uh, towards the end of the season. He is, Hudson is four to five favourite, but that feels a, a wrong price to me. I, I wouldn't like Roy to be given the job next season. I don't want to be going around November time where they're struggling and he gets sacked. I just love. To... I don't think they would be struggling. I think they'd just be safely mid-table. I think if Zaha perhaps leaves, maybe they need that stability. If you watched the, I don't know if you watched it, the overlap with Gary Neville the other day and Hodgson, it was. I found it absolutely I love fascinating. Yeah, I love Roy. You he know, spoke yeah, really well. So switched on, so clever. Yeah, him and Lewington have been there a long time. They they know the game inside out. Um, but you're right, Dan Graham Potter is the one again over the last few days who, who who's been supported. A rock solid second favourite at three to one with. With Brendan Rodgers, likewise, who will be touted around for a number of jobs, no doubt, until he until he gets back into the dugout. Rafa Benitez at twelve, not for me. Uh, Hassan Hootel at sixteen, Carrick at twenty. Frank Lampard, George, are you sniffing around Frank Lampard for the Palace job at twenty-five? I know you're a Surely big fan. Not. What job at Palace? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll move on. I tell you what, Tim. He's got the bit between his teeth. I'm liking it. I'm liking it. It's that laissez-faire attitude at the end of the season. It's just like, yeah, come on, yeah. stop it. I've got the flip flops well, on. I do not care. Hey, I was going to say, yeah. George is on the George is as good as on the beach. Actually, doing the podcast from from his holiday this week. I mean, George, Mister EFL. What do Leicester and Leeds do from here? Both got relegated last week. Both clubs really in turmoil. I mean, looking through the Leeds manager market on Bet365 is makes for pretty grim reading where Steven Gerrard is the 5-2 to two favourite currently. Um, oh, I mean, sorry, Leeds fans. Yeah, unless Leeds can persuade Mick Beale to leave Rangers as manager and become Gerrard's number two again, then I can't really see the appeal there. Big Sam in there at 7-2, to two, that you can kind of see the... The thinking there, but do you really want to do that deal with the devil now in terms of long-term success? And do you want to be that team uh, going up? You know, Burnley have shown that you can completely change the way that you your team play and the philosophy to that expansive ball-playing stuff and, and go up at the first attempt, hiring a young up-and-coming manager. Um, Brennan Rogers is there at seven to one. If they can attract him, you know, that would probably be the best of kind of the, the big name appointments. But it, it feels unlikely uh, for Leicester. Dean Smith. Will, will he be afforded the opportunity to, to continue there next season? Who knows at this stage? He's someone who I still really rate as a manager. He's achieved great things at, at Villa. He's achieved a promotion out of this league before, albeit through the playoffs. Um, but, you know, he, he he didn't do the job that was, was asked of him in, in terms of staying, staying up. And then I guess it's the same pool of managers you're looking at again. Both teams feel to me like they are pretty rudderless at the moment. You know, you look at Southampton, who undoubtedly come down as the worst team of the three, but Southampton have moved quickly. They've appointed a new director of football in Jason Wilcox, who comes in from the City Group. Wilcox has got his man, Russell Martin, who'll be joining the club um, from Swansea. They feel like a team who have already got a plan as to how they're going to approach next season. Leeds have to replace Orta. They need a new manager. Who's going to choose that manager? Who's currently choosing the players they're looking at? Who's choosing the manager? The managers we don't know. With Leicester again, it, it feels like there isn't really any direction. So um, it's it's hard to be positive about these two teams at the moment. Tim on Leicester, a few high-profile players there. Tillemans has announced he's leaving. You'd expect Barnes and Madison to go as as well. Leicester have got some good players that potentially Premier League teams could pick up for a semi-reasonable fee. Yeah, I mean, God knows what that Leicester team is going to look like in August, start the EFL season. Yeah, as you mentioned, Tielemans, Madison, Barnes, Vardy, Evans, 
There he is, everywhere, Johnny, <laughs> Johnny Evans. Johnny Evans. Uh, players like uh, Dakar, Ian Acho, are they going to want to stick around? So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, they've got they've got a few good young players, obviously, Dewsbury Hall and James Justin and Luke Thomas, but I fear for them. I, I, I think if they'd stayed up, uh, Graham Potter would have been a, a decent shout to go there. I know he's, uh, he's, he's a man that they've uh, had discussions with before and very well liked and respected. I think the feeling was mutual, but um, but that's extremely unlikely now. We can't see Potter drop into the championship. So, yeah, um, will Leicester spend some money this season? How many players are they going to have to sell? Who's going to be the manager? I mean, it's it's all massively up in the air. Finally, George, I'll come to you. Luton Town confirmed your promotion to the Premier League via the playoffs last weekend. I mean, incredible. That is incredible that Luton are a Premier League <clears> team. <throat> Yeah, it is incredible. Um, it it marks. I'm not going to say the end of a journey because let's see what they get up to next season. But um, you know they were docked. Was it 30 points just over a decade ago? Relegated to the National League, spent four seasons down there, and then have, have managed to force their way from non-league football up to the Premier League um, in a short amount of time. Um, they've had to deal with losing Nathan Nathan Jones twice. It's crazy that Nathan Jones actually only has one promotion to his CV with Luton. You know, he left during the League One promotion of the year. Mick Harford led them to, to to promotion this season. Rob Edwards came in and did an incredible job. Um, you know, they are going to be favourites to get relegated from the Premier League next season, and rightly so, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if they surprise a lot of people. We normally see teams who get promoted out of the Championship do pretty well in their first campaign up, and that's because they are able to retain key players. Normally the players who, who come up with them want to uh, continue the journey and play for that club going forwards. Uh, they are able to retain their manager. They have, you know, upward mobility and they're able to re- to kind of recruit at, at a level um, where if they achieve promotion already, certainly in the case of Luton, then they're absolutely expert in terms of recruiting what they need. Uh, next season, from what I can see, there'll only be one team apart from them who'll be a non-possession based team that'll be Everton under under Sean Dyche I think there is room for more direct teams you know Luton are not a low block and hoof it team they are really aggressive out of possession they press a lot but they are direct with the ball in terms of the players who get on the ball generally look to, to get forward with it pretty quickly uh, happy to turn a man happy to play it into feet and yeah I think they'll bloody a few noses whether they can stay up or not I, you know we'll have to see but they've got a lot of spirit in Rob Edwards. They've got a manager who's managed two full seasons in the EFL and won two promotions out of League Two and and uh, and, the, and the Championship. Um, so I'm excited to see how they do. And as I kind of tweeted this week, I'm looking forward to all the people saying they're going to get fewer points in Derby because um, I think the those opinions are, are pretty snobbish and, and will be will be uh, yeah mislaid. Steve, what are Bet Three Six Five saying about their chances for survival next season? Yeah, it's only two to one that they do survive. And four to eleven that they go down, understandably so. Um, and twenty to one for a for a top half finish, which uh, would be great news for Luton as they try and continue this fairy tale. But uh, as we've talked about, yeah, the the trips to Kenilworth Road will be uh, quite a test for some teams. I'm looking forward to see how they uh, how they get on. They certainly will not uh, certainly beat Derby's record low points total. I don't think that will ever be beaten. Yeah, probably the only ground next season, Steve, for it doesn't do corporate hospitality out in the, in the Premier League. I did last season. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not right. sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay, he's got his contacts. He's got his contacts. You may well see him at Kenilworth, Kenilworth Road Sorry, next season. That's it here from us at the Weekend Preview. The Athletic Football Podcast will be back on Monday following the FA Cup final. Until then, enjoy your weekend, enjoy the final, and thanks for listening. The Athletic. <laughs>